0: The ABC's Word Wizard, The Lord of Language. A Word in Your Ear, with
1: Professor Raleigh Sussex.
2: It's that time of the day. The ABC's Word Wizard, Rolly Sussex, OAM, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, is here, willing and able to talk to you about words, language and linguistics. One three hundred triple two six twelve is the number you can call. That's one
1: three
0: hundred triple two six twelve.
2: Such beautiful music. Professor Raleigh Sussex. Buongiorno.
1: Good afternoon.
2: So you would like to talk about the Italian language and its intimate relationship with some of the most beautiful music in the world. How come?
1: Indeed. Well, the story is that in the 16th century or so, round about the time of Palestrina and uh, composers like that, the Italians were better than anybody else by a country mile at composing and performing and developing things with new instruments. And everybody was so impressed by the Italians that they adopted Italian ways of doing things including Italian language terms for music, because otherwise they felt, you know, they would be um, thought to be a little local hick rather than part of the real the real action. And every now and again you see domination like that coming through in language. And nowadays, of course, everybody, with the exception of, say, the Chinese and the Icelanders, uh, are borrowing English words hand over fist. But in those days, the 16th century and so, the Italians... Established a dominant position, and fundamentally, since then the Italian vocabulary of music has persisted in all kinds of ways, which we, I think, aren't really aware of. Now, in ballet, there's an awful lot of French. We you know the word ballet is French, fouette, glissade, corps de ballet, all these things are French. But in Italian, I, let, let's have a look at, say, the the viola and the violin. When you look at an orchestra you think, ah, the violin, first violin, second violin, they're the kind of core instrument, and then there's a bigger one called the viola, there's a bigger one still called the violoncello, and so on. Historically, the oldest one was in fact the viola. And uh, the viola was a stringed instrument, it came in two sorts, uh, viola da gamba, which means the viola of the leg, and you play it between your knees, and there are still people who play um, Baroque music like that on period instrument. And there was the viola da braccia, which is the, the arm one which you held up and put it under your chin and played the way they, they do nowadays. So, viola. How do you get to violin? Well, the in bit is a diminutive. It means a little one. So, a violine is, in fact, a little viola, right? Mm-hmm. And the violincello, well... It it came from violone, and O-N means big. It's an augmentative. So viola, violone is a big viola, and the violoncello is a little big viola, as it were. So that's where we get cello from.
2: And what about piccolo? Um, Is it piccolo, the little tiny woodwind? Piccolo,
1: yeah. Piccolo means a little one. That's a little flute. Yep. And, uh, for example, the trombone. The Italian word for a trumpet is tromba. So where do you get the O-N from? Well, it's the same O-N as violone. It's a big one. So a trombone is a big trumpet. And, and once you know these things, you start thinking, hang on, there, there's a sort of pattern in the orchestra which we can see now. Hmm. So there are trumpets, and there are big trumpets, which are trombones. And then, there's of course, there's tubas and things like that. Um, the There are a few non-Italian ones. There's the corps anglais, which is a, a French term for Literally, English horn, and Americans call it the English horn in their orchestras. Um, There's a euphonium, which comes from Greek. The U is nice and phone bit is sounding, so a euphonium is a melodiously sounding instrument. Uh, The timpani, of course, are drums, uh, and the cornet is a little cornu. Cornu is Latin for, sorry, Latin actually, uh, originally, for a horn, as on an animal. And so a corner is a little one. And a bassoon comes from basso, which is Italian for a bass voice, but it's also sort of bassone, meaning a big one. So, uh, you know, the, the, the orchestra is full of big things and little things with a fairly small core vocabulary. And even the old, our old friends cantatas and sonatas. Cantata ritually, originally meant something which was cantare, which means to sing, something which was sung and sonata, which is something which was sonara, which means to play, rather than to sing. Sonata is now a chamber music piece for a small number of instruments, often a solo, accompanied by something usually a piano. But originally it meant a piece of work for instruments rather than for voice.
2: Hmm. When we hear... There you go, maestro. Um, uh, Bellissimo uh, Encore But that's French And now I'm thinking about uh, The language of of opera And we heard a small sample Of La Traviata Earlier Mm -hmm. Italian But we hear lots of German opera too And uh, Do we hear Mm -hmm. much German In in regards to instruments Or the organisation of of music Rolling
1: no, not, not in the modern orchestra and in fact also for tempi tempi are times, so things like you started off with presto and allegro and largo and so on all of those are Italian presto is fast, prestissimo is very fast and prestisissimo is extremely impossibly fast and all of these things uh, are Italian uh, some Australian composers like Percy Granger did use some English words, you know uh, for the Tempe, and some German composers... I think Wagner did this as well, uh, used some German things. But again, th- there was a big deal in Mozart's day. Would you write an opera in German? Because the languages for opera were thought to be Italian and French. And when wrote, Mozart wrote things like the uh, the Zauberflöte, which is a magic flute, um, then th- it was actually quite a big deal in the time because he was putting... German language in singing voices on stage. And a lot of people thought this was a bit vulgar. No, it wasn't Italian enough. (laughs) Uh, We haven't finished yet. There's lots more.
2: Well, jolly good. But I did want to bring in Paul uh, at Maryland, just over the border. Paul, hello. Uh, Because you have a point about music, language and Latin. Good afternoon.
0: Yes, well, it wasn't really a point, but i was just uh, considering uh, when you're speaking the Italian how much of the, the that language has come from the original uh, Latin? Mm.
1: The answer is probably most of the things we're looking at, uh, yeah. either directly or indirectly. What happened was that Latin was spoken in Rome and around Italy, but we didn't actually have an Italian language, say, until around about the 19th century. And before that, there was Latin, and as the people moved away from Rome and started living distant from it in, say, Portugal, Spain, um, France, they, their languages got more and more different. And when the Roman Empire fell to bits, there was no longer any input from Rome to keep them on the tracks. So their languages kept on evolving. You get early French, early Spanish, early um, Portuguese and so on. And by the time we get to the Italians uh, of the 16th century, Uh, All right, they were in the same geographical place, but the language had evolved enormously uh, from Latin. Now, for example, Latin has no articles, but Italian does. So they'd invented those for a start. And a lot of other things uh, were dialectal words, but basically the core vocabulary that we're looking at um, can be either derived directly from Italian or um, or traced right back to Latin behind it. That's beautiful. Take Vivac. Vivace. Yeah. Oh Three yes. Years yes.
0: ago, um, I was in uh, uh, high school and started to learn the uh, the Latin as uh, you did at that stage, and mm-hmm. I didn't go on with it, but it has remained with me. And uh, uh, I just was listening to you, and I thought, well, this is wonderful, uh, just to be able to talk to you.
1: Mm, thank you. No, you're dead right. I mean, Latin either directly influenced Fre- English or through French and uh, a, an enormous amount. But 78% of the vocabulary of English is not basically from the Germanic origins of English itself. Uh, we've been the, the ultimate mongrel language. we picked up words everywhere. And as far as Italian goes, we've done the same as the French and the Russians and everybody else. We've just decided to use the Italian words because they were established. They had prestige, and when you use them, people from other countries who were looking at your music would know how to play it.
2: Probably we often get questions about pronunciation and um, points are made about various uh, approaches to words. When you are mm. talking in musical terms and you're using language that is common in English but isn't essentially English, is it incumbent on you to Could. affect the appropriate Italian pronunciation?
1: Ah, um, Musicians will understand, and some of them actually imitate. And I think we're fairly lenient about this. Um, but take accelerando, which means getting gradually faster. In Italian, that is accelerando, um, and so that there's a difference of pronunciation there. Uh, we sometimes uh, anglicise to some extent, uh, to, even to the extent, say, the um, oh, your old piano. Um, the interesting thing about the piano was it. it was originally piano forte, and that meant it was a loud-soft. And the reason they called it that was that before then, keyboard instruments really had only one volume. And that was, you, you pressed the key, it played that, and that was it. When the piano came along, there was a mechanism that meant it didn't hit all the strings at once, and you had a soft and a loud, as well as control over degrees in between and so it made a piano. Nowadays we've we've abbreviated that to a piano or piano. Hmm. Um, but you no know, the, the, the Italian persists in ways just just under the surface in all sorts of sorts of things.
2: Professor Rolly Sussex with you on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland 25 minutes to 2. If you've just joined, uh, Rolly has been walking us through the history of uh, language and music and the strong lead that the Italian language has taken in this instance. Uh, moving to your callers now, Rolly. Uh, we have many to get to. So let's uh, let's go to Rothwell with Ashley. Uh, and Ashley, you'd like to know about prefixes and suffixes. Good afternoon.
0: Hello, Rolly. Um, yeah, so my question was about affixes, but um, not quite about prefixes and suffixes my question was actually about circumfixes and infixes because I'm of the understanding that they don't really exist in the English language but they are relatively common in other languages Um, so my question is is that true and um, if the word enlighten with the en at the start and the en at the end is that a circumfix or is that just a prefix and a suffix that happen to be the same?
1: OK, um, and a prefix comes before and a suffix comes after and an infix goes in the middle. Uh, English doesn't really have any unless you're thinking of things like Tumba Bloody Rumba for Tumba Rumba, where you can put one word in the middle of another one, um, but they they're not standard in any any kind of way. A circumfix is when you've got a bit which comes before and a bit after. And of course, you can you have lighten? Yes. Can you have n light? No. So that n requires a not only the prefix n but the suffix. Sorry, the prefix n and the suffix n around light to make a a, a proper word. And a, surf, a circumfix is one where you've got a circum is Latin for around, and it's a piece of language where you've got one bit at the start and one bit at the end and they usually both have to happen at will um chinese has got some circumfixes i've discovered
0: okay thank you so, so yeah, pleasure. is that so it's not a circumfix is that
1: right well it, it's a sort of circumfix because um you you can have lighten Right, so that e n goes on the end. But if you're going to have an n at the start, you can't have n light. So it has to be enlightened. And there are two word-forming bits there. Um, circum circumfixes are very often prepositions, by the way. Uh, but this n first and last is a is a kind of circumfix because they um, they are around the root light in the middle.
2: Thank you very much, Ashley. We'll just okay. keep moving. We've got lots to get through yep. with Professor Rolly Sussex this afternoon on ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland. My name is Kat, nearly half past two, and Gregory is on the Gold Coast. Go ahead, Gregory.
0: Hello. Um, I'd just like to know um how words change uh, pronunciation. Like, um, if you looked at the Big Bang Theory on television, they kept on mispronouncing a word that I call coitus, and they kept on saying coitus. <laughs> yeah. Um, Full of uh, you know, you wonder why they, they did that.
1: Uh, well, I, I think probably it's because a word which we don't actually pronounce very often, and you wouldn't hear it said very much, except in perhaps medical circles or if you're studying Latin. Uh, your pronunciation is certainly the correct one. And the other one is because COI uh, would normally pronounce, be pronounced COI if it occurred somewhere else in the word. So it's a spelling pronunciation, and I think it's a result of the fact that people haven't heard the uh, the normative pronunciation. But you're quite right, um, uh, particularly with place names. Uh, remember in the film Rain Man, I like that example where I don't want to go to Melbourne, Australia, uh, to find an airline that doesn't crash. And uh, so we do, if we're uncertain, tend to give a what's called a spelling pronunciation, and you apply what you think by the, uh, might be the most Consistent and logical way, uh, without knowing that there's already an established one which is a bit different. And you're dead right.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Gregory. Uh, to Bruce, just north of Gympie. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Jan. Good mate. What's up?
0: Um, I'm getting upset about when you when you listen to the uh, the football and anything like that on the uh, radio. I always say there's a bunch of people when the mm. correct name is group
1: right um, this is a colloquial word and um, indigenous people tend to use mob as well our mob and uh, for them this is the default way of saying a group of people which are part of us our group as you say quite correctly um, bunch originally was uh, vegetables fruit that sort of thing but it's come to be used of a group of things particularly people um, and uh, oh they're a good bunch is a friendly way of saying they're a good mob. Um, they're a good group actually sounds almost a little formal, doesn't it? Uh, if you say they're a good bunch, they're nice, friendly, relaxed people, you can have a beer with them. A good group, you might put on your tie and have a glass of sherry. So there are differences of style.
0: Yeah, because 50 years ago, it was always a mob of people or a mob of footballers or whatever, but that sort yep. of that word sort of gone out and they've replaced it with bunch and it, it sort of yeah. you know, rattles I me, think, eh?
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, mob was much, much more common when I was young. Um, that's a long time ago now. But you're quite right. There's been a bit of a shift, um, except, as I say, with Indigenous people who use the word as a standard word for a group of people we, who belong together.
2: On ABC Radio, Brisbane and Queensland, thank you very much uh, to Bruce, just north of Gympie, with a question for Professor Roly Sussex. Uh, my name is Kat, uh, Richard in Cooparoo, uh, with a question on nautical terms. Hello, Richard.
0: Hi there. How are you? Well, thank you. Uh, Raleigh, I've been reading a couple of books about Horatio Nelson and the Napoleonic Wars uh, of, of sea time, and they talk uh-huh. about the van of the squadron, and mm-hmm. they have the van, which obviously means the, the front or the leading yes. boats
1: but the, then they refer to the centre and the rear. But where does that mm-hmm. van word come from? Ah, um, it it comes from vanguard. Uh, ah, if you're in the yeah. vanguard, you are in the leading group doing something or other. And van uh, was applied to uh, people in the phrase. He was in the van of something, meaning you're at the front, in the front group of, or among the leaders. Right. And so it was applied in the navy terms as well. If you can, by the way, there is a fantastic. Um, dictionary of navy terms by commander covey crump c-o-v-e-y hyphen c-i-u-m-p um, put up by the admiralty in london i think it's still available on the web and right. you can recover all sorts of um current and former navy terms from it
0: right so vanguard actually means that you're in the lead yes right yeah leading a group of people or whatever that's right like, yeah. yeah or something like that Right.
1: Yeah, vanguard, okay. and it's related to avant-garde, um, meaning in French, before the guard. L- quite literally, it goes back to before the guard. Right,
0: excellent. Thank you very much. Thank oh. you. Richard.
2: Uh, Professor Rolly Sussex, we need to move to your last word. But before we do, Mm -hmm. uh, we had Dr. Carl uh, on the ABC Radio Brisbane Mornings program today, our esteemed man of science. Um, And he was taking questions from our bright young minds, from school students today. Uh, Fernie Grove State School had the opportunity to ask questions of Dr. Carl There was, however, a question, Rolly, that left poor Dr. Carl a little stumped, and we think you might be able to help out. Uh, This is what Madison from Fernie Grove State School would like to know. Hi, Dr. Carl. I'm Madison. I was wondering why is there East, West, South and North? Why can't they be different words and why is North at the top? Very good question, we thought. Professor Rowley Sussex, what do you think?
1: It is indeed. You know, there's a rule which says never work with children and animals. (laughs) (laughs) They catch you out. All right. These words are very, very old in English. Uh, They go back to Old English, which is about 1,200 years ago. And before that, they came from the Germanic language before it even crossed over the channel into England. Um, so that you find that uh, German, for example, has Norden and Osten and Suden and uh, and so on. They're, they're very similar words. French has Est, West, Nord and Sud. So obviously they're, they're part of a, a group of things. You can see them in modern English, actually in my name, because Sussex means South Saxon. All right. The Sussex comes from South and Essex means East Saxon and Wessex means West Saxon. There were no North Saxons interestingly. So these are very old English words. They are right back with the core of English uh, when it crossed the channel about the 5th, 6th century AD. Very ancient
2: very ancient indeed well thank you professor we shall let madison know uh, her question has been yeah. answered 25 minutes to 3 here on abc radio brisbane and queensland my name is kat and professor roly sussex is your guest this afternoon he joins you on a thursday to have a word in your ear we've learnt about italian language and music about north south east and west and professor it's now time for your last word
1: This is from a fantastic music comedian called Victor Borger, or Borgia. And it goes like this. The difference between a violin and a viola is that a viola burns longer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure and a privilege, Professor. Thank you so much. (laughs) On your
0: radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.